This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Well, today what I want to do is I want us to come out of the seven churches of Revelation. If you've been with us, we've been studying the seven churches in the book of Revelation the seven churches that were in Asia Minor, it was a message, it was a vision that the Lord gave to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos. And he wrote this revelation down, this vision. And it was to be shared. And as it was to be shared, it actually was a message to be shared with all of the churches, not just one of the churches, but all of the churches. And therefore, it was something that would benefit all of them. And today what I would like us to do is I'd, I'd like us to walk back through the dear church. Because in all seven, in all seven, I'm not going to do a review, that's not what I'm going to do, but in all seven letters to the churches, there were some common themes. There were some common things that I believe we've got to take away. This is a message for us. See, these letters from, were from the Lord himself, and it was to a real place. It was to real churches. It was to real people. They had real problems. They had real situations going on in their life, and this was a message to them, but it's a message for the ages. It's a message for you and I that we can hold on to, and they can encourage us. In all seven, that's why I want to do this, in all seven of the letters is a complete message. Biblically, the number seven represents completeness. And thus, the message is to all and for all times, and all of the messages was a message in totality. And so today, I think it's important for us to take this and look at it. And I pray that you'll receive it individually. And, and as a follower of Christ, as a Christ follower, you'll make a, uh, make a determination, a commitment in your heart to say, yes, Lord, let it be. And amen. May it be so in your heart as you hear these, uh, these uh, few thoughts, if it would be, these, these uh, compelling themes that come out of the letter to Revelation, to the churches in Revelation. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at several different scriptures that'll go with it. But the first theme that I see, the first theme taking place in all of the letters, and I'm saying it this way, is that there was a challenge to the church and to the churches to say yes to God. In fact, just write that down right now. Write it, type it, say yes to God. There was a challenge to all of them that we've got to press in and we've got to make a commitment that we're going to say yes to the Lord. Now, if you've got small children living uh, here, those that live in Florida, we're used to going to Disney. And if you go to Disney, there's lots of rides. There's a lot of different uh, fun activities that are there for the children and adults alike, teenagers. But can you imagine if there was a ride called the Dangerous Surrender? The dangerous surrender. I can imagine that this ride would be a ride that would have highs and lows. It would have fast curves and, and unexpected twists. It would go in the dark places that would feel very dangerous. It would have sudden stops and goes. I mean, that would be this ride that they would have created. Well, the reality for you and I in our life is when we join Christ in the journey, when we become Christ followers and we give our lives to him, it parallels the journey of your life. And that is there is a dangerous surrender that happens that says, yes, Lord. 
When you say yes to God, all of a sudden God begins to take you on a journey and that journey is something that begins to move you through your life. It's got excitement, it's got, it's got moments where there's twists and turns, there's the unexpected, but in it all, what's happening is we're saying yes to God. In every one of these commitments, or should I say, in every one of these letters is a call to commitment. There's a call to surrender. There's a, a call to yield to what God wants to do. If you have ears to hear, listen, and follow, and walk, there was a call to say yes to God. In fact, there was a challenge. If you weren't where you should be doctrinally, if you weren't where you should be morally and sexually, if you aren't where you should be when it comes to serving God with all of your heart, there was a challenge that they would be offering in these letters. It was a, it was a call to say yes to God. You know what I've realized is when I say yes to God, when, when you say yes to God, my life becomes a miracle that God can walk through and work through, that God can begin to, 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 to manifest his will and purpose through my life. Let me read a verse to you, if you will. Look with me in Ephesians chapter three. I share this verse a lot. It's in your outlines as well. Ephesians 3.20, it says, by his mighty power, in fact, uh, we quoted it today. His mighty power at work within us. God is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. Some translations add ask, think, or imagine, or pray. See, what happens is when you and I realize that God's power that rose Christ from the grave is at work within us, just think about that God is saying, I am there and I'm gonna do more than you can dare think that you could ask, that you could hope for, that you could ever pray for. I'm going to do that. You see, the danger is yes, is when you say yes to God, when your yes brings you to a place of surrender, God now can begin to work miracles through your life in ways that you would have never even thought or imagined. Here's the assurance we got out of the letters is he's gonna strengthen you. Every letter showed us, I didn't take time to unpack it, but it showed us parts of God's nature, parts of his character. Every letter showed that God is strengthening us, that God is undergirding us, that he's walking along with us. And there's a miracle that begins to take place in you. I was doing my devotions this week and I was reading the story of the two blind the two blind men that when Jesus was coming, they had heard what Jesus was doing. And when they heard that he was coming, they were blind, they couldn't see. And many times in biblical days, blind individuals would become beggars. That's how they would make their livelihood to provide for themselves. And these two blind beggars are, are crying out, Lord, have mercy on us, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. And then Mark chapter nine, it caught my attention. In verse 28, Jesus said, do you believe that I can make you see? Do you believe it? You see, before I go any further today, the question is, do you believe that God can change things? Do you believe that that situation that you're going through right now, that God can turn it around? You see, it's easy to say yes, but the problem is, is do we really believe it? Do you believe that I can make you see again? I mean, they had a physical situation, but many of us have emotional situations. We have, we have relational situations, financial things. And Jesus is saying, do you believe? You see, he wants to do a miracle right in our midst. The question is, do we really believe? Do we really dangerously say yes to God? 
that we surrender to him, that we are saying, God, I believe you. I trust you. I'm depending on you. I'm waiting on you. I'm determined that I will not be moved. When you stand like that, God now begins to work through your surrender, your faith, your trusting, your depending on him. And says, he says, do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord. They told him we do. Then it says he touched their eyes and he said, because of your faith, it will happen. Not because of your money, not because you've gone to the best doctors, not because of your job, your actions, because of your faith. Man, it touches me when I read it. It's God, strengthen my faith. Let my yes to you, oh God, strengthen my faith of what you can do and what you desire to do, especially in the end days. Remember, this is John on the island of Patmos, and he's writing, he's writing to the churches, and he's talking to a church and churches that are in persecution. He's talking to a church that, that, that is being attacked by the world around if they don't give in to the practices of the world. He's talking to, a, to, to believers and he's talking to churches that have walked away. For years they served God, but then they, they allowed something to come in and they drifted. Here I see God saying, I want to strengthen you. I want to encourage you. I want to do a work in you. I can do it. And it says suddenly, suddenly, don't you love the suddenlies of the Bible? Suddenly they could see. I mean, I'm believing for you right now. As you are tuning in with me and as you're connecting with me right now, I'm believing that there's a suddenly moment coming your way and that in the name of Jesus, you'll see God do it because of your faith. Just say amen with me wherever you're at. That's what I'm believing for you. You see, your yes, as I reflected on this, your yes to God, as I reflected on it, though, I had to ask, what keeps me from saying Yes. What keeps so many of us from saying yes to God? Is it my own fears? Is it my own insecurity? Why do I hesitate? Why am I reluctant to go all in? Why are you? I mean, why are you? Why are you reluctant to say yes to God? Why are you reluctant to surrender to him? Why are you reluctant? Why are you holding back? For me, I, I, I couldn't help but think of insecurities and fears of, of what it will mean to say yes to God. I mean, I walk and, and work with a lot that, that, that they're, they're hesitant because their yes might mean that they're going to have to do something. And if they were really honest, they don't want to do it. Well, the reality is then you haven't really surrendered. If you don't want to do what you're saying, God, I want to do, it's one thing to say, God, I'm all yours. On Christ the solid rock I stand. I surrender all. But then the reality is, is do you really determine to follow him? You see, my yes to him my yes, your yes to him says, God, whatever it is, I'm willing to walk this way and go this way, but our fear battles it. My insecurities of what it might mean and what I might lose and, 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 and all of that begins to battle it. For some, you're afraid of what God may ask you to give up. For young people, young adults, this is usually the case. If I say yes to God, I, I surrender to God, it means I'm not going to have as much fun. It's not, it's not going to bring as many uh, joys and full, you know, fulfilling things in my life. For many, they're more interested in, in maybe uh, making money in their careers and, and the pleasures of this life that they're, they're reluctant to go all in for the Lord. Well, the Lord deals with this in a very, uh, a, a very familiar passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. I'm going to read it from the, worship, uh, from the Message Bible. It says, you can't worship two gods at once. You see, if you're reluctant, 
If there's fear, if there's insecurities of what it's going to mean, if you're reluctant, he says, you got a problem. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. You can't worship, and then Jesus hits it, God and money or manna. It was a spirit. You can't worship that. But but Jesus is saying, surrender all. And yet the enemy is is saying, oh, if you surrender all, you're going to lose your fun, your freedom, your friends, maybe family, fortune. You're going to lose all of it. But really, in reality, what happens is when you say yes to God, when when you say yes in, in a dangerous surrender to the moment of that in your life where you say yes to God, what you lose is you lose guilt because the power of sin has been broken. I mean, the enemy through sin, through, through sin in our life, the enemy brings guilt, shame, and condemnation that keeps you from going into the very presence of God. What you lose when you say yes to God is guilt, shame, condemnation, worry, fear, loneliness. God begins to fill you. You see, what holds us back so many times is this, this insecurity, the, the fear. We're going to lose control, that, that, that maybe I can't keep the commitment. Maybe I can't go all the way. All of these things are things that hold us back. Let me read another scripture to you, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12. You know, Paul says to young Timothy, you know who I have believed in. Excuse me, he says, I know who I have believed in. And I am persuaded that he is able, if you're able to underline your Bibles right now, just underline this. He is able, able to do what? He's able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. Paul is showing us here that he's not afraid of the gospel. I know in whom I believe, and he is able. There, there is a power in God, a keeping power. The power we said earlier that rose Christ from the grave is a power that's available to you, and I have committed to him until that day. Committed to do what? To say yes to God. Committed to walk with him, have fellowship with him, to be with him. And so the antidote to all of these fears Paul was showing us this. I got to get to know God. I got to say yes to God. And when I say yes to God, worry begins to move away. Fear begins to remove. Insecurity and guilt and shame. All of these things begin to be removed. What keeps me from saying yes to God, a second thing, is our own sinfulness. It's the sin in our life. It's a, it's a double allegiance within our heart. I've often thought of it as the kingdom of me, of wanting to be in control, this, this idea and this desire that, 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 that I'm going to go my way, the prodigal son, give it to me now. It was his, it was his inheritance. It was going to be given to him anyway, but I want it now. It's this demanding, this desiring, this, this, this wanting it. Let me share a scripture with you here. You see, my own sinfulness, your sinfulness, many times keeps us from saying yes to God. Look here with me in in Luke chapter 9 and in verse 61. Luke 9, verse 61, Jesus is calling, he's telling what the price of following him will be, and he's calling them to come and follow him. And he comes to the next, and he says to this one in verse 61, he says, come, follow me. Another said, yes, Lord, I want to follow you, but... Let me first, there's two key words there that you got to circle in your Bibles, but first, let me do something else. You see, first, there's another concern that I've got to take care of. 
What holds me back is all of these other things that, that are blocking me and, and keeping me from going all in and saying yes to him. So let me first go and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said, anyone who puts his hand to the plow, then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And it was an agricultural term that they would have understood in their day that you're plowing and it's already hard and, and you're trying to move the plow through the field. And if you look back, you're gonna begin to, to be stirred off the path. That's what happens if we can't say yes to God and we're attracted by all of these things around us. We're not gonna fulfill and we're not gonna totally release and be what God wants us to be. So the last verse here, before I go on to the second theme I see is in Romans 6 and verse 13, very powerful verse, Paul says, don't, don't surrender any part of yourselves to sin to be used for wicked purposes. Instead, underline it, give yourself to God. If you're there and you're typing in things, go ahead and put it in the chat box. Give yourself to God. Give yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And here it is. And surrender your whole being to him to be used for righteous purposes. And so the first theme I see coming out of these churches, it was, it was just something that was bubbling up and it was bubbling up and it was bubbling up. And that is the Lord desires you to say yes, that there is a yes to the Lord. And right now I just want to pray that over you. Father, I ask that in each and every one that is listening that God, there would be a will in me to say yes to you. That Father, we would surrender. It's a, it's a dangerous surrender, yes, but it brings so much fulfillment and joy and satisfaction that I pray that over each and every one right now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The second thing that I see that's coming out of these themes and boy, we really talked about it last week, but it, it comes out of, of the different letters is that we've got to beware of the drift. Write that down. Beware of the drift. If you've ever been out in the ocean on a float or, or out in the lake, uh, you know, floating on a raft or something, you understand the drift. You don't have to do anything. You just lay there, and before you know it, you're drifting along. If you can find something that you can hold on to, maybe you're, you're tethered to a boat or to a pier or to a rope or something that's anchored down. We did our series a few years ago about anchor that will hold you and keep you. Then you don't drift. Well, the reality here is in these letters, man, Laodicea and Ephesus and Sardis and, and Pergamos, Jesus said some things to them that was an encouragement that says, beware of the drift. He used some key words. You may want to put it in your notes section right there. He said things like, renew yourself, awaken yourself, strengthen your spiritual fervor. Why? Because they had grown complacent. They had drifted. They'd become indifferent like we talked about last week. They were neutral. And when you're neutral and indifferent, it's characterized by a drift. You see, the reality is we've got to be aware. And this was a theme that came all through. Drift doctrinally, theologically, drift in your morality and your sexuality, in your idolatry and putting things before the Lord, drift in, in so many different ways. You see, your relationship with Christ is very much like any other relationship in your life. It's got to be maintained. Relationships are always changing for better or for worse. They're dynamic. If you're not growing closer to the Lord, then you're drifting away. 
And so the theme that we see over and over Jesus identifies is that we've got to beware of the drift. Now, I loved the, the, I loved the very first letter because Jesus identifies to the church of Ephesus that it had lost its first love. Now, what hits me, and I hope hits us as a church here at Christian Life Center, is the church of, of Ephesus was a church that had a Pentecostal, powerful move of God. It was birthed in revival. We talk about revival. We talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it was a church that was born in revival. And people were saved and baptized with the Holy Spirit. And, and God worked miraculously through the hands and ministry of Paul. I mean, there was miraculous uh, miracles that took place. The sick were healed. Demons were cast out. Great conviction, and I love it, came over the whole city. It says all heard and all began to believe. I mean, there was a move of God, and Jesus was magnified to the place that people gave up their idolatry, their witchcraft, their magic. They turned from it, and the whole city saw this powerful move of God in a very powerful way, and they glorified the Lord. It was birthed in revival. But then you fast forward, it's about 45 years, you, you fast forward to where we get to Revelation, and I told you, in Revelation now, he's saying, you got all these great things, these apostolic qualities are wonderful, but there's one problem, is you've drifted. The problem is you left your first love. You allowed there to be a drift, doctrinally, morality in your life. You, you embrace the things of, 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 of the trade guides that are around you. And the Bible is bringing an emphasis over and over that we've got to stay close to God, that we've got to keep pressing in, and we've got to hold on. In fact, there's a scripture I want to read to you here that, that, that expresses that. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. It's crucial that we keep a firm grip I mean, just if you're around something, take a hold of something, take a hold of something, take a, you know, a firm grip on what we have heard so that we don't drift off. It's crucial for you and I. It's crucial that we hold on. So the question coming out of the second point that you've got to ask yourself is the question of where are you at with God? Last week I asked you, which chair are you sitting in? This week I'm asking you, have you drifted? I mean, week after week after week after week, it's being challenged in these churches. And today I'm challenging you one more time. If you've drifted, if you've ever been closer to God than you are now, then you've got to press back. You've got to take a hold. You've got to determine that, God, I'm going to get back the fire. I'm going to get back those, 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 those passions in my life again so that, God, I can honor you. I mean, the church of Sardis, when we look at it, this church outwardly looked great, but inwardly it was spiritually dead. When we, when we look at what Jesus said, he said to that church, wake up, strengthen what remains, remember where you were, repent and get back, stay alert, shake off the apathy, get, get rid of it, because when you do, I will bring back something that will revive you and renew you. Last week we saw Laodicea where he says, you're self-deceived. Boy, even when I was done with it all week long, I kept saying to my own self, God, where am I self-deceived? Where is it that in my own heart, God, there's callousness, there's been a drift, I've compromised, I've allowed some things to come in, I've bought down, I've I, 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 I bought into some things, God. Where is it happening in my own heart? You see, it takes a self-evaluation 
Paul says, examine yourself. Jot down a few of these in your notes section. I don't think I, I have these verses in your notes, but jot down a couple of these verses. The first is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. If you think that you are strong, be careful not to fall. If you've drifted, if you're not where you should be, then there's this desire to say, God, get me back. Write down another verse here. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18 says, a proud attitude leads to ruins. So God, I pray that you'll break humility over us as a church. You'll break us before you, O oh God. Let their, let their, God, break pride, I should say, and let humility come before us so that, God, before you, we're, we're, we're vulnerable, we're authentic. Father, we're broken so that you can speak to us. The reality is he's coming, he's coming soon. And the antidote is that we've got to keep our eyes on him and know that soon and very soon, we're gonna see the king. The third theme I wanna share with you today, the third theme that I see coming out is a theme that was said over and over and over again. You see, in the Christian life, there's no solo Christians walking alone. There's not a, a solo Christian life where you're just doing what you want. You can't be independent. I know we're walking through COVID right now and it's a different season, but God says no Christian is to be independent. We're to be interdependent. We're to depend on one another. And when you look into Paul's writings, Paul over and over will say that the church, the body of Christ is like a body, all the different parts of a body. And so the third theme, theme that we see over and over here is a theme that says we must be faithful in ministry. Write it down. We gotta be faithful in the work of the Lord. I see your deeds. He said over and over, I see it. And the word meant I know it. I, I've watched it. I've experienced it. I see your deeds. The reality is that's what we do with our life unto the Lord. That's how we're serving God. I see your deeds. The fact is you can't develop your talents until you identify what your talents are. Now, our role as pastors, our job, and one of the main job descriptions that we have is to help you to discover and define, to understand your niche, your divine design, your gifts, so that you can be what God wants you to be. That is what it means for you. So as we look at this, we see that as a body of Christ, we've got to develop our gifts. I wanna to read to you a scripture here. 1 Peter 4 and verse 10 each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, underline it, faithfully administering God's grace in various forms. God's grace in various forms. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. You've got to activate your spiritual gifts. You've got to activate your spiritual gifts. You've got to allow God to begin to show you and develop you. Now, let me give you just a couple bullet points about spiritual gifts. First of all, every believer, every believer has gifts. When you're born again, when you give your life to Christ, you're a part of the body and you have gifts. And we're called, all of us are called as the body of Christ to serve. In fact, in the New Testament, the same word for serve is minister. So we're to serve, minister to others with our gifts. Every believer has a different function. 
We don't all do the same thing. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about the hand, the foot, the mouth, the head, that we all have a different function, different parts. In fact, as a pastor, I don't want you to serve in a ministry that God hasn't passionately gifted you for because when you're in your gift, it's your divine design but everyone is given gifts. And so if you're sitting back and you're not serving the Lord, the reality is you're not walking in the full anointing of what God has for you. And therefore, like a body, every body part, every part of the body is an important part. Every one of us play an important role. In 1 Corinthians, Paul will say, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. I mean, the foot can't say to the eye, I don't need you. Why? We're interdependent. We need one another. And therefore, though some roles might seem more prominent, more obvious, doesn't mean that the lesser obvious or prominent body parts or roles are less important. Sure, my hand might be seen. It might feel like it's more prominent than my internal organs, but the reality is both are important. I don't want to live without my liver. I don't want to live without my arm or my leg. They're all important. And one of the secrets I found, and I hope that you catch it today, is one of the real joys in your spiritual life is to discover your spiritual gift and to begin to move into that. Why? It's because God's anointing and his power will begin to strengthen you and he'll build his church for his purpose and for his glory when all of us are apart. Can I hear an amen? And therefore, every believer has got to cooperate. We got to work together and properly uh, uh, just allow God to use us. When I was in college, I played college baseball and I blew out my knee in my third year, my third season, and, and I had to have knee surgery and, and I battled with it for years. But those first few years before I really uh, understood what was wrong and that I needed surgery and I didn't go and get it right away, all of a sudden I found that my other leg, my left leg, it was my right knee that I blew out, my left knee began to hurt about a year later. When I went to the doctor, he said, it's because that your left leg is compensating. Your left knee is compensating for the weight and you're, you're, you're in a sense favoring your right and your left is beginning to carry more weight than it ought to, than it's used to, that it was meant to. And it's because your right knee has been injured. As I thought about that spiritually, as I begin to think on that for you and I, the reality is if you're not involved, if you're not a part, if you're not, if you're not using the gifts that God has given to you, others are picking up the weight and doing what God anointed you to do and they're getting your blessing, but it's a weight that they weren't meant to carry. Why do we see members in the church and leaders and pastors burn out so quickly and, 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 and walk away from serving? Usually it's because they were serving in areas that are not their giftings. They're doing more than they should have been doing because others weren't doing what they should have been doing. And it was an unhealthy weight and that unhealthy weight led to maybe some kind of burnout. But God didn't design it this way. God designed it that all of us are a part and when we are serving and we activate our gifts, he says, I see your deeds. And when you're activating your gift, he begins to empower you and he begins to use you and he begins to move within you in a very, very powerful way. So Jesus says over and over again, I know your deeds. Many Christians go their whole life without ever discovering their spiritual gifts. And my prayer for you is that you're going to discover it. It's a theme that we see over and over again. The purpose of your spiritual gift is to build up the body of Christ. 
The purpose is so that all will come to maturity. All will become what God wants them to be. Look here, Ephesians chapter four and verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and and pastors and teachers. Here's the purpose. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service, to prepare you. My job is to prepare you to do the work of ministry so that the whole body, look there, underline it, will be built up. The body of Christ will be built up so that we'll all walk in unity. So what's my responsibility with the spiritual gifts? Is God expects me, first of all, to discover what my gift is, and then he expects me to begin to use it, and the reality is I'm gonna be accountable for it. The last and final theme as we come to the end of our service and we invite our, our worship team to come back, the last and final theme that I see coming out of all of these churches, seven times, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What was he saying is, listen carefully. What was he saying is, stay alert. Don't lose what I'm about to share with you. And that was, I want you to hear. I want you to hear the Spirit. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Before Christ's earthly ministry was over, he gave a major discourse to his disciples right before the end of his life. And he began to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. And he assured them that he was not going to leave them as orphans, but that his father was going to send another paraclete, another helper, one that would come alongside, that would encourage and exhort them and be with them like he was with them. The Holy Spirit will be with them. Let me read to you Romans chapter eight and verse 12. Dear brothers, you have no obligation what, whatever to your old sinful nature. You have no obligation to do what it begs you to do. But if you keep on following it, you are lost and will perish. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will crush the old nature and its old deeds, you shall what? Live. That's right. For all who are, underline it, led by the Spirit are sons of God. You see, the reality for you and I is that we've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. He who has an ear, let him hear. We've got to be led by the Spirit. Church, hear me more than ever. We need to be led by the Spirit not led by our emotions, not just led by what's happening around, led by the Spirit. For me, it means a couple things that I jotted down this week and I wanna share them with you. A few things of what it means to be led by the Spirit. The first thing I wrote down is if I'm gonna be led by the Spirit, I can't follow a culture that doesn't follow God. I can't follow a culture that doesn't say yes to God. I can't follow a culture that, that, that is, is nowhere near where they need to be with God. They're not walking in their anointing. They're not surrendering and using their gifts for God. I can't follow a culture that doesn't follow God. Exodus 23 verse two says, you must not follow the crowd in doing wrong. I can't follow a culture that doesn't follow God. My encouragement to you is be led by the Spirit. How do you, how do you increase your discernment? 
I talked to you months ago about it, an entire sermon. How do you hear the voice of God? We talked about it several months ago. To be discerning of God, it requires me, first of all, to get into the Word, to be anchored in the Word, to know God, to know His ways, to know His character, to understand Him. It requires me to spend time in prayer so that I can hear from God. It's times of reflection. It's times of meditating. It's not just a boring exercise. It what God begins to do is flesh out culture and he begins to bring in his thoughts. So what I've learned is I can't follow culture because culture is not following God. A second thing in being led by the Spirit is I can't follow friends who aren't led by God. For some of you, you're, you're still, in a, you're still in, a, in, a, in a zone, you're still in a sphere of influence that's influencing you. And as they're influencing you, your yes isn't a yes to God. You're drifting in your life, you're compromised, you're rationalizing, and it's because of the company that you are keeping. You see, I can't follow friends who aren't led by God. Again, Exodus 23 and verse two, you must not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Let me read another verse to you. Proverbs 13 and verse 20. Be with wise men and what? Become wise. But be with evil and we will become like them, evil. Wisdom from God helps me understand how to apply his principles in my daily life. And if you're following friends that are not walking with God, if you're getting counsel from friends that are not spiritual, if you're getting guidance from those that are not rooted in the word, they don't have discernment and wisdom from above, then the reality is you won't be able to say yes to God. The reality is you'll be drifting, you'll be compromising, you'll be rationalizing. You won't know what you believe and why you believe it. And when the end days hit harder and harder and harder, what I'm afraid is you won't have the strength that you need to stand. So I've learned, I've learned this lesson, and that is I can't follow friends who aren't led by God. Another lesson that I've learned in learning to walk in the Spirit and be led by the Spirit is I can't be led by circumstances, good or bad. I can't be led by the circumstances that are around. This week in my devotions, I was also reading in Acts, and I was reading the end of Acts, Acts chapter 27, and it caught my attention, really had never really caught me before, is that Paul is a prisoner, they're taking him to Rome, and they, they're trying to decide should they set sail or not. And Paul gets a prophetic word from God, a revelation in his own heart, and Paul says to them, he says to the captain of the boat, sir, listen, I believe that trouble is ahead that what's coming, trouble's coming, perhaps even a shipwreck. We're gonna lose all of our cargo, all are gonna be injured, there's even gonna be death. Acts 27, he says that. But the officer of the boat, in charge of all of the prisoners, didn't listen to Paul, instead listened to the captain and the owner instead of Paul. And sure enough, when they looked out, the scripture said the weather was great, 
They thought it was a very favorable time to set sail and they begin to set sail. And as they begin to set sail, it says afterwards, suddenly, all of a sudden, the weather changed abruptly and there was a wild typhoon strength uh, uh, that came. It's called a nor'easter that came upon them and it caught the ship and began to blow the ship all around. They tried to turn back and they couldn't and they had to pull up and just drift. We know it led to shipwreck. It led to so many uh, hardships for many on that boat. See, I can't be led by my circumstances. I can't be led if it's good or bad by things that are happening to me or around me. I've got to be led by the Spirit. Now you may say, man, I don't know how to be led by the Spirit like that. I want to encourage you again. Say, God, develop me, strengthen me, help me grow in the Word. Help me grow in my understanding and my prayer of hearing you. Let my spirit, let my spirit be connected with your spirit. I want to be led by the spirit. I'm afraid too many of us are led by our logic. We're led by our emotions. We're, we're led. In fact, that's the next one I'm going to share with you. We're, we're led by what we think is the right thing to do. In fact, a lot of us, let's be honest. A lot of times our prayer is God bless what I want to do. Bless what I want to do. I've got to learn to be led by the Spirit. God, give me ears to hear. Ears to hear what the Spirit says. Can I tell you, I've walked with God a long time. I'm constantly saying, God, clear out my ears. Help me hear. Sometimes there's so many good godly voices around that I just have to, God, I need to hear from you. I got to have an assurance in my heart reality is you and I are going to be facing much harder times than we faced this year. The end's coming. Things are going to begin to happen. We've got to be unified. We've got to let our yes be yes. We've got to be determined that we're not being drifted by the things that are around in our own heart and life. We've got to be a vessel that's used by God and we've got to be led by the Spirit. The last thing I've learned about being led by the Spirit is I can't be led by my emotions my feelings. Proverbs 14 and verse 12 says, but every man, before every man, there lies a wide and pleasant road that seems right, but the end is death. You see, when we're led by our feelings, it might seem right, but scripture's very clear, the end is dangerous. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.